to another edition of the No Further Comments podcast, a.k.a. the NFC. I'm your co-host, Alex Meacham. Now, normally we have Glenn Riley and our super producer, Mario Doremus, here. But they're not here today. Uh, Glenn recently uh, saw the movie Black Panther, and he decided he wanted to go on a vacation to the kingdom <laughs> of Wakanda, wherever that is. Uh, Mario, now, now, if you listen to our last podcast, you know that Mario is a huge Scooby-Doo fan. And he thinks that Shaggy, the other character, one of the main characters in Scooby-Doo, was a huge, uh, he, he had huge involvement in Scooby-Doo and the whole crew solving a lot of the mysteries. Yeah. So Mario is out right now trying to figure out how many mysteries Shaggy actually <laughs> solved in his, in his br brilliant detective work. So those two are out, but to no fear, we have a special guest that's come and join me, and he's going to definitely hold it down today. Yeah, I got you. Since Glenn is in Wakanda and Mario's looking for Shaggy or whatever he's doing. Today, our special guest is Clifford Brown. Can, you, can I call you Cliff? Yeah, you can right. call me whatever you want. He is from Holly Springs, Mississippi. Went to Marion University in Indianapolis where he won an NAI championship. And he was a Mr. Do-It-All. I mean, he was like the triple-double of football and we're going to talk about that a little bit later then he gave a, a, a try at the NFL uh, I think which is a very interesting story and a lot of things young people need to hear as far as your pursuit for a dream most recently he started Clifford Brown performance yes sir like to bring in and welcome Cliff Brown What's up, man? What's happening, man? Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Glad to have you here. You have your Cincinnati Reds hat on. I respect that. Got it on. Got it on. I'm a guy from Holly Springs, Mississippi, rocking the Reds hat. Is that? Are you truly a Reds fan, or are you just rocking that as respect to the Natty? Respect to the Natty. All right. And red's my favorite color, so. There you go. I'm, I'm with it. Okay. Let's talk about Holly Springs. Yes. Small town? The biggest, yeah, that's small. <laughs> the biggest small town in America? <laughs> yeah. Shouts out to Holly Springs, Mississippi. But yeah, it's a small town. It's a, you know, we got eight or nine restaurants. No disrespect to nobody back home. <laughs> we got a few stoplights and that's about it. People riding horses and just chilling out. People riding horses? Yeah. And so talk to me about that. Like, like you could literally be walking down the street and somebody come by. Yeah, somebody's going to be up on the square probably just riding a horse. And that, that's, that's normal? Yeah. They'd be like, oh, man, Rick's up there with the horse. That's why traffic's moving so slow. <laughs> So. Now, you don't see that here. Nah, the not at all. You don't see Rick come by. Nah, Rick, Rick ain't coming. <laughs> Rick ain't here. You miss that? Ah, uh, sometimes. Yeah. I like to go back and visit, man, because it just, it teaches, it teaches me my roots, takes me back grounded. You know, you jump city to city, you see a lot of people running around doing a lot of things, and, you know, you realize when you go there, lot, some people don't even have Wi-Fi. So you get all what? the way back to, yeah, like what's important. What year is it in Holly Springs right now? <laughs> like seriously, what year is it's it? It's 18, but they haven't caught up. It's more, it's more like a, a 2008 vibe. So what y'all was on 2008, yeah. Wow. Like, yeah, so every, like Facebook's big down there. Like everybody's just jumping on Facebook. So that, that's fascinating to me because I'm, I'm so interested growing up in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. it, it's so interesting to learn about other cultures and other areas of the country like the south right. you know the south has its own particular vibe the east coast east coast has its own vibe yeah. the west like just imagine but before the uh the show started here we were talking about biggie and Pac. right 
and like what it would be like to grow up during the time in which Biggie's coming out. There's all these rappers on the East Coast. Pac's doing his thing out in Cali. Yeah. And then you've got the the South. I, I've just always been intrigued. I'm, I need to at some point later in life when things get established, I would love to do like a tour of the country, man, and go yeah. to these. And, and Holly Springs will have to be one yes, of Yes, you will stop stops. in Holly Springs. So we're not far away from Memphis, so you can you yeah. can enjoy Memphis. That's where we got to go for everything. Okay. Holly Springs, once you get there, man, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's night and day. Oh, man. So who's the most famous person to come out of Holly Springs? Me. I like that. I, I was hoping that was the answer. <laughs> My grandmother is from Loosedale, mm. Mississippi. South. Yep. She talked to me one time about Loosedale, Mississippi, just, just briefly. Uh, she passed away. Cliff at 104 years old Whew. a couple years ago. She lived to 104. There we go. Her recipe for life is so different than like, like she, she would drink wine and eat a whole jar of jelly <laughs> through, through the course of a day. That was like her key. And she had, had to have her glass of wine and had to have a, a jar of jelly. Something it's like that. And that's like, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the reason she lived long or maybe it was just I think it had to do a lot with her with her vibe. Right. You know, she had just this very positive love right. everybody vibe. But she talked about Loose Dale and back to my point earlier about <clears throat> just different pockets of the country and just how different life is than even the Midwest. And uh, it was fascinating because Loose Dale is like the furthest the furthest um, place south, mm -hmm. I think, in Mississippi. Yeah. It's all the way down there. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. need so when I stop in Holly Springs, I'm gonna go down to Loose Dale. Just take 55 straight on down there. 55. 55, take you straight on down to okay. the South Part of Mississippi. Now can I ride a horse down or I gotta go ahead? <laughs> I mean, how much time you got on your hands? <laughs> I'll tell Rick to get you a horse. You'll be good. Yeah, yeah. How Rick for me, man? Rick's my guy, slick Rick. So uh there's somebody that, that's come out of Holly Springs that is uh, pretty famous and especially his contributions or maybe his influence to the hip-hop community and that is Sly Johnson. You ever heard of Sly Johnson? Nah, not familiar with Sly. Right. Sly is a uh, very popular, at, at, you know, I don't know what year it was, the 70s, a blues and soul singer. He's not super famous, maybe like, you know, a B.B. King or a, a Barry White uh, type of blues soul singer, but he had a song called Different Strokes. And not to be confused with the TV show, <laughs> Different Strokes, but um, or their theme song. But his song, Different Strokes, was sampled by a lot of hip-hop artists. Uh, most notably, Jay-Z and Kanye West off the Watch the Throne album, song called The Joy, in which they sampled Different Strokes. And apparently they sampled it illegally. Right. And so they're in a big lawsuit uh, battle. And I, I'm not sure if it's been concluded or there was a payout, but... So, man, Jay-Z, Kanye, you got Jay-Z's probably, you know, we'll talk about this later, but the greatest rapper of all time, don't at me. <laughs> don't, don't, Kanye, who's probably the most polarizing yeah. hip-hop artist. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Right now. And they're sampling Sly Johnson from Holly Springs, Mississippi. Legendary. See? They had to. Absolutely. They had to. Gonna, gonna tie this, we're going to tie this whole thing back around <laughs> at the end. It's right. all going to come together. So who is your, two questions, who is your favorite rapper right now and who is the greatest rapper of all time? And I'm expecting two different answers. Yes. Okay. Favorite rapper, J. Cole, hands down. Jermaine. J. Cole. Why I is that? love J. Cole because he has a, has a story to tell. 
and you know I, I feel like I relate to that not a lot of artists are open to you know the the experiences that shape them into the artists that they are and another thing I'd probably say just just the way he carries himself yeah, he's a he's all about his art, and then he he disappears. It's like a, it's like he it's a mystery. Disappear. Yeah, and it's like you don't know when you're gonna get the music or anything else. And I don't mind waiting because when he drops it, it's dope to me. Yeah, but you know he's not all over the place. All. But that's kind of cool in that he it's like he he puts out music when he feels it. Yeah. Verse, I have to put it out because it's the fourth it, quarter. Right. I gotta I gotta you know uh, my 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 record company wants me to drop something, so I'm gonna make right. some jingle. Yeah. And put it out there. So yeah. Everybody's doing it. So that, that, a, that's, that's true. That's that's kind of old school. And, and and one thing I do like with J. Cole is he reminds me of the, that 90s vibe of telling stories. Kind of like right. we talked about Rick on the horse, but Slick Rick, the right. rapper Slick Rick, who, you know, people arguably say is one of the greatest storytellers in hip hop right. history. You know, I think J. Cole tries to do the same thing and paint that. Paint that. So when you're listening to J. Cole's song, he's trying to paint that picture right. so you can visualize right. It's just it's it's all an art, and I and I I like just kicking back listening to music. I'm yeah. not really a rah rah guy with the music, okay. but I like kicking back listening to music. So if I'm in a car ride, man, that's perfect for me. So, yeah. So I'm there all day. J Cole, favorite hands down. Okay. Best rapper of all time, Tupac to me. Woo! We we've, we've been talking about Pac. Man. Tupac. We've been talking Tupac. about Pac. Tupac. Is he's just he's it's revolutionary, man. He's just. Yeah. You know, he wasn't afraid to speak his mind. He wasn't afraid to stand on it. Right. You know, that's that's a, that takes a lot of brass, and I like it. So. And he died, I believe, at what twenty five. Yeah. Was it something like that? Twenty five years old. Um, and I don't know about you, but and you're you're twenty eight. Yeah. Right. 28. Um, I, I feel like Tupac. I mean, he knew he was gonna die. Mm-hmm. And and I, I I even hate to even parallel these two because i don't want people to you know jump on me about this but martin luther king knew he was going to die right and i think martin luther king and Pac both talked about right death even when so tupac is on record in making music talking about his potential death martin luther king is standing up preaching to people essentially mm-hmm. rapping about i possibly could be gone which both of them ended up very prophetic right. in their words. Right. But, I mean, just the impact of what what Pac said, what I do, when people tell me, so I think Jay-Z's the greatest rapper of all time, but when people tell me they think Tupac, I don't argue with them. I don't mm-hmm. debate that. And I respect that. I think one thing people miss about Pac's music, and if you haven't discovered this, I would challenge you to go back and listen. During Tupac's rise to fame, he would always drop a song that would be, and I'll just use this word for, for lack of a better word, but on some ignorant stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he'd turn around and then, drop, yeah. Brenda's got a baby. Yeah. Then he'd go ignorant, and then he hit you with, keep your head up. Right. It was like a plan. So I watched him in one interview, and, and, he, and I kind of, this is where I discovered who Tupac was. He needed to put some of them ignorant records out to get the people right. to listen. Like people right. from his hood in LA, the Crips, the Bloods, you gotta listen to this. Right. You know, so I'm gonna bring you in with the, the, the gang banging stuff, but then I want you to keep your head up. Right. You know? Right. And I, I think that's that's genius. 
I yeah. think people people really miss that because a lot of people a lot of people they don't have time for the message. That's that's their True. that's the way they 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 view it. They feel like they don't have time for it. Like I just just give me something now. I we ain't worrying about that right now. But it's actually someone actually trying to educate you. He's trying to enlighten you of of issues that's going on all around you that you're not paying attention to. Right. And you know how how could you knock a man for that? So you know he did what he had to do to to draw you in, and then boom, there it is. If Pac was alive today, how would his impact on the hip-hop game be, and what would he be doing if, if he didn't do hip-hop? Do you feel like he would be in a different lane? Uh, I think, I think uh, society would probably force him into a different lane. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, you look at it, someone, someone who stood up and, and tried to do something you know, to bring awareness, Colin Kaepernick. It's literally forcing him into something else, right. away from football. Right. Like football is what he was known for and everything else. But now, since you know the NFL hasn't accepted him, it is what it is. They can take it however they want. But you know they forced him into that role. I feel like Tupac would probably be the same, and he wouldn't care because it's all about impact. A person like that, it's about impact. It's not about popularity, and that's one of the biggest things I feel like would have kind of shaded him away. And I think he would have adapted well. He would have made that a new thing. Like, that would have been a new popular thing. So, that's... I agree. I, I think he'd have been an activist, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right? He just had that it just had that feeling, and music was the thing that got him his stage right. to be an activist. Right. Kind of like, I don't think Kaepernick... I don't think his goal was to be an activist. Nah. It was to be a football player, but... He like, just wouldn't... He just wouldn't be quiet about the issue sure. or, or just let it die. Right. Um, and, you know, that's that's what that's what the now does, in my opinion. I feel mm. like that's what the now does. Like, if, you, if it's not the way they say or they view you as this and this is what your job is, you can't be this person or you can't do that. Right. And so, you know, it'll force you into another thing. And you just got to be strong-willed and accept however it is. But, I mean, Pac would have definitely been... He would have been one of the ones out to shape this world, absolutely. For sure. So we're going to use that to transition into what we call the stat game. Now, this is episode number 44. And what we do is normally we take a stat that has to do with the number episode we're on. So we'd look at number 44. But in this case, we're going to intertwine two games that we've done in the past. One is the stat game and the other is the jersey game. So we used to play this game called the jersey game. So whatever episode we were on, if it was number 23, that's the Jordan <laughs> I episode. I should have been there. <laughs> I know, right? Right? So we're going to intertwine the two. So this is episode 44. This is the stat slash jersey game. Okay? I'm going to talk about a player right now who is a baseball player, was a baseball player, and quite possibly the hat you're wearing is the team he... <laughs> Probably had his most glory for. Wasn't the only team he played for. So just to go through a couple stats of this player. This pro baseball player is a two-time All-Star, World Series champ, three-time gold glove winner, two-time silver slugger, the Roberto Clemente Award winner, and he is in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame. He wore number 44. My favorite Cincinnati Red of all time. Like, when people think of the most popular, probably, Reds player, who this player isn't, but that would probably be... Pete. Pete Rose, right? Pete Rose. 
and this is not Pete Rose, but this player is by far my favorite player of all time. Have a clue. Mm, not deep rooted in the Cincinnati baseball history. You're going to learn today. <laughs> so, this gentleman is from Los Angeles, California, born and raised. At one point, uh, Paul O'Neill, the famous uh, Cincinnati Reds and famous New York Yankees player once said, Paul O'Neill said about this guy that he was the best batter, the best outfielder, the best base dealer, the best player I've ever seen in my life. Versatility. Since, yes. Kind of like how you were on the football field <laughs> you talk about. This is no other than Eric, the Davi Eric Davis, better known as Eric the Red. And you didn't see you you didn't grow up watching mm -mm. Eric Davis, um, and for a lot of Reds fans, there are a lot of Reds fans who will tell you, especially my age. Let me say this: Reds fans my age will tell you Eric Davis is was their favorite Red. A lot of them will. Mm. A lot of them will. I can't I can't speak for everybody, but the older <laughs> generation. I think most people agree Pete Rose was the Cincinnati Red yeah. player. But Eric was so cool because. <clears throat> To me, he was hip-hop, as we talk about Pac, Jay-Z, Biggie. Eric Davis was hip-hop for me. Like, Michael Jordan was hip-hop in basketball for me. Like, yeah. if you put a highlight of Michael Jordan together, of his dunks and his moves, you got to put a hip-hop song with that. Right. Right? Right. And I'm putting Jay-Z with that, because Jay-Z's <laughs> the greatest, right? Off-rip. Huh? Off-rip. Okay. No doubt. So Eric Davis, man, he just had... Cliff, he had a swag to him when he batted. So myself, everybody in my neighborhood, people that I played baseball with, there was a point in which everyone tried to bat like Eric Davis. <laughs> you know, he kind of leaned back and he would twirl the bat like this. And then that pitch would come in and then last second, wow, he'd snap the ball's gone. And for someone that's young, not a very good baseball player like myself and my friends. Yeah. That stance didn't work too well for us. <laughs> Our hand speed wasn't good enough. Our fast twitch muscle wasn't to that level. So the dope thing about it was, like Michael Jordan, only Michael Jordan could do Michael Jordan dunks. Right. Right? Only Eric Davis could do that batting style. The way he played in the field was crazy. The way he flagged down. Just even just like routine catches. Just were dope. Just smooth. <clears throat> smooth. There's a rap group called Eric B and Rakim. Rakim, who I personally think is one of the great rappers of all time, one of one of the few rappers I feel that was five to ten years ahead of his time during his time. Yeah. And that was that didn't happen a lot during hip-hop where someone was like way ahead of their time. You yeah. know, Rakim, KRS-One, guys like that I believe were. But I always looked at Eric Davis, the baseball player, like Rakim, the rapper. Like, to me, if I was to have Eric Davis highlight, Rakim would be <laughs> He's like, going straight to Eric. Oh, for Rakim. sure. Okay. For sure. Now, are you hip to Eric being Rakim? Yeah. Okay, good. I had to make, yeah. I got to make sure, man. <laughs> I make sure. Um... So what I want to talk about is, you know, we talked about um, Holly Springs and you ending up at Marion University. 
yeah. to, to play uh, to play football and, and going in there. And obviously you were very versatile in what you could do on the on the field. Talk a little bit about your experience being a college uh, football player, uh, what it was like. And, and as you go through that journey with us here, when you're finishing up your mind state, when you finish it at Marion, your, your mind state of what's what's next. So it was different. I had I had a great time at Marion, and the Indy Indy was good, good to me. That was the first time that you know I really stepped outside of Mississippi on my own. Uh-oh. You know, kind of leaving all my family behind. And Rick, my, my, yeah. Rick with the horse. I left the horses, left Rick. Mm. Uh, my sisters were back home. My mother, and my father were back home, and it was just a, you know, something I wanted to do to kind of experience the world. So, kind of knocked out two. Two birds with one stone. I was like, "All right, I get to leave Mississippi, and you know, and I get to play football, and pursue an education." So it was cool. I, I mean, I had a great time there uh, early on, uh, adapting to the to the collegiate speed of the game was really no issue to me. Cause I, I mean, I played kick return, punt return, running back, receiver. So mm-hmm. you know, and I had a track background, so it was speed was never an issue for me. But just kind of learning the game and developing in the game. Had great success soft, uh, freshman year, sophomore year. We were undefeated, lost right before the national championship game. But junior year, we actually ended up winning the national championship game. Uh, so your sophomore season, you lost. Yeah, we lost right before we went undefeated. And then we lost right before the national championship. Okay. So it was a heartbreak. Junior you year. Guys came, you guys bounced yeah, back. Yeah, you, 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 that's like when you sh- strap in and, and, you, and you go after. Junior year was great. Yeah. I, had, I had a great personal uh, junior season. Okay. Um, Team obviously had success, personal accolades. You know, I did everything the team needed me to do. Some games I was out at receiver. Some games I was in the backfield. Some games, well, every game I was kick returning, punt returning. It's just a matter of whatever they needed me to do. I was there for it and just try to show up and perform. So everything went great. One. And then after that, it's you, you lock into senior mode. And that's every athlete, right. whether high school or collegiate. Every senior has the same mind frame. This is my last go round at it. I'm about to kill it so I can move on. Yep. And at that point in time, you know, I, I was there, but little did I know that life was going to take a turn on me as an athlete. Okay. So my senior year, second game of the year on a punt return, first quarter, I'm just, you know, doing the usual field to punt, take off. Um, guy swipes my feet, put my hand down to try to catch my balance. Boom, break my arm. My, my thumb, my wrist, and my forearm. Wow. And I just, I didn't think it, it would be over. At what point was that? My senior year, second no, no, game. At, at what point? What did you say, the second game? Second game, second yeah. Game. Okay. So I'm thinking, like, oh, man, I got a bad, like, jam or something on my wrist. Little did I know that, you know, I busted up my hand. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, I never, I mean, the doctors told me that, you know, the surgery would take a while, it would take a while to heal, but at no point in time did I ever think that I would miss the entire year. Yeah. I was that delusional with it. Right. Uh, so... Um, I did end up missing my senior year and it kind of threw me into a panic because I'm like, ain't your senior year is supposed to be your best year. Sure. And, you know, so like your, your junior year should have been your my, senior yeah, year. Yeah, right? it should have been my senior year. And I, so I was kind of confused by the whole thing. Like, okay, I missed my senior year. Now what do I do? Like, what, what does, what does my future hold? Like, I want to go to the pros. What's next for me? And then from there, it just all kind of started spiraling into a point where I had to learn to develop as a man and not just an athlete. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. got, it got crazy. 
So let, let's let's talk about this. So you're 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 a collegiate athlete, and one of the things right now that's going on with college sports, mm -hmm. there's a lot of conversation about should athletes be paid. Now you've been there. I played college basketball. You played college football. So I think we have a, in, in some ways, a unique perspective mm -hmm. on this. Do you think college athletes should be paid? Yes. Why? Because I mean they. They're providing a service for the university, and the university gets paid off of it. Millions. A big business. Yes. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what level you're at, they get they get paid for that. Right. I mean, just a little backstory of, of Marion, how it was, the football pro program was created, so our fifth year of existence was the year that we won the national championship. So four years prior, Marion oh, University wow. never even had a football program before. Wow. They actually developed the football program. They brought on Ted Kiris, the head coach, great man. Mm -hmm. um, he brought uh, he brought football to the university to save the university because they were going into debt. Well, football brings money. Sports bring money. And so that's football actually saved that university. Sure. Just so happened that we won it in five years wow. of existence. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, no matter what the level is. You were part of saving a university. <laughs> something like it. So they should cut me a check. Mm-hmm. They should cut that alone. <laughs> they should cut me that a check. Alone, and all of us. Cut right. all of us a check. Pay us all. No doubt. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's big business. I mean, these universities, they're making millions of dollars. I don't see why not off of an athlete and yeah. their talents. Pay them. So, and let's, let's, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. You know, people like, uh, your, your, your education is enough. So if you look at the value of an of a athlete who's getting a free education, so if you're mm -hmm. on scholarship, for four years, the education you're receiving is obviously worth a lot, and yeah. you've got kids that are going to school who end up in debt. Not 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 student athletes, but just students yeah. who go for four, four and a half, five years, whatever it takes them to get out, and then they go out in the real world, and they're paying off debt for years. And so the devil's advocate is, well, you're getting a free education. That's essentially getting you paid. That should be enough. That's but say. is it enough? Nah, it's not. I mean, you you gotta, you gotta think. They're still driving money to that university. Okay. I mean, the the universities, colleges, man, they're they're the sharks. Like, they're charging all that money for people just to just to be able to get an education. I right. mean, they're literally not even giving you a chance before you get a chance because you got everything that you're gonna make. You gotta turn around. You gotta pay it all back. Right. So. Right. You know, and as as athletes, I mean, you're you're providing a service that makes millions of dollars. Just this is no different than someone getting an academic scholarship. Someone that's getting an academic scholarship, they still have the ability to work and do everything else. Mm -hmm. Other uh, collegiate students, they, they have the ability to work. Athletes don't have the ability to work. Right. Really, really dive into that because I think that's important for people to understand. Take, take us through like a, a day in the life of, okay, people go, well, why can't you work? <laughs> Here's I'm, why. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, the, the, the university owns you at that point in time whenever you sign off. <laughs> True. Your, your property of, boom, athletics. True. They don't want you to make any money. You can't do anything else on the side or anything else. And another big story was, you see, the, uh, like the guy from Florida State, the kicker, that did the YouTube videos and stuff. Okay. And he was, like, making money off a YouTube channel. He just yeah. did t funny videos. I don't know the guy's name. Uh -huh. But I've seen, I've seen his funny videos, and they're kind of funny. He was just doing YouTube videos on the side, nothing to do with it. But NCAA told him he couldn't do it because he was making money. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. what? This kid just wants to make some money. Sure. Sure. You know, and make funny videos. He now, just happened to get paid for A regular student could do that. 
Yeah, a regular student could. Right. This dude's not interfering with a scholarship or anything else, but they say, hey, you're under scholarship, you can't do anything else, so they own you. And when you're there, I mean, you're up at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning uh, okay. for college football. It's been 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. You have weightlifting. You have um, meetings at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. That's going to take you all the way up until you go to class at 8, or, eight o'clock, 9 o'clock, or whatever. And that's going to carry you all the way into lunch. You're gonna have you're gonna have lunch maybe 30 minutes or so, and then from there you're diving right back into film, uh, film studies, probably a, a, a second lift set, a session or something mm -hmm. like that, and then you got to hit the training room before you even go to practice. Then once you go to practice, you get out of practice, go right back into the training room. You'll get dinner for a quick second, and then you're right into study table. So you're looking at it, you're literally busy from five or six o'clock in the morning until seven, eight yep. o'clock at night. <clears throat> I mean, unless you're going to get a graveyard job, which right, right, you're yeah. a special person for that. You, yeah. you know, you don't have the ability to work. Mm -hmm. You're literally property of the university and you can't skip not one of those things to say, oh, I, I need to make money. No, you're here or we'll take your scholarship. Right. That's not fair. Someone that's getting a full academic scholarship can still go to work. Then why can't athletes be paid? Now, how do we how do we now then balance out? who gets paid what. So if you're at Duke University versus, let's say, Belmont, all right, obviously two different programs, and I'm speaking specifically basketball-wise, how do you then pay a player who, Marvin Bagley at Duke, who's one of the best players, versus Tyler Haddon, uh, who's at Belmont, and he's definitely, you know, one of the best players there, a good player there. How do you balance out who gets paid what? I leave that up to the university. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you put it in the hands of the individual universities, how they distribute money to Yeah, each that's up to the program, I feel like. Yeah. That should be up to the program. I mean, it's, it's too much for everyone else to be dealing with it. I mean, if, if a guy is offered something better over there, then that's up to him. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's no different than corporate America trying to get a job. If something pays you better, you're going to go. You're going to take that one. And I, I think that they need to figure something out. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know... I, I agree with you. I think players need to be paid for the reasons that you said. Yeah. How they're paid, what they're paid. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Yeah. Like you said, they need to figure that out. But something does need to change. Right. Something does need to be put and, in place. And specifically for basketball, I mean, the NCAA created the one and done where they're renting these players out and doing that. Right. I mean, a kid wants to go, he doesn't want to go to college. and. I'm a college graduate, so I'm not saying that anything's it, it's not right or wrong. However, they feel, but they wanna they wanna pursue their dream. They wanna go play. If the if the professional sports feel as if they're ready to play, and I wouldn't say football so much, but basketball feels like they're ready to play, let them go. If the NBA takes them, take him. If you want to go to college, go. Now there's a difference between a one and done with with basketball than you'd feel with football. Absolutely. And and that being what. Uh, college football, I mean, it's very it's very necessary to go to college um, and at least learn the game as far as football because it's a physicality because of the physicality of the game. Right. I mean, that is a combat sport. It's like a car crash out there. Sure. And if you're not, that's not for everybody. I mean, you get top prospects that go out there, the collegiate prospects that get out there in the pros and they can't adapt. Mm -hmm. You know, the first three years either they're gonna figure it out and they'll become something or they'll disappear. You know, because they never adapt to the game. It right. is a, it is a different monster out there. Yeah. At least on football. Yeah. So. I, and I think basketball will get back to the point where they'll be one and done, or they'll be straight straight out, straight straight out of high school, school yeah. and get rid of. I was trying to say get rid of the one and done mm -hmm. rule. I, I think it'll get to that point and players um, being paid. But let, let's transition now into speaking of being paid.
<laughs> you pursuing your dream of playing in the NFL. Now, when we were kids, like, I used to go in the backyard. My first dream, Cliff, was to play basketball for the University of Cincinnati for the Bearcats. That was my first ever dream, right? And through that process, at nine years old, I started seeing this guy, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, and then I had dreams <laughs> of playing in the NBA. You know, I would go in the backyard, and it would, it would literally be 10 degrees out, snowed five <laughs> inches the night before. I'm out getting buckets out in the backyard right. with gloves on. You need it. Oh, yeah. And I'm, 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 sh I'm shooting. But I think a lot of kids were like me, and a lot of kids were like you, in that you have dreams of playing at the highest level, which mm -hmm. is the NFL, or in my case, the NBA. So with your dreams of playing in the NFL, you going through what you went through your senior year, which people could look at as, there's no way he could make it to the NFL. You know, you didn't play your senior year. That's your time where you're supposed, you're supposed to shine, right. prove yourself. For you, your mindset was a little different. Yeah. And your path to even get a look at the NFL was probably unconventional. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So take us through that process of, of at least trying to put yourself in position to get a look at the NFL. So, like you said, your senior year is the year that you're banking on for everything to come full circle for you. Um, I missed my senior year and it threw me for a loop and I didn't know what the future would hold for me. But in my mind, at no point in time did I ever think that I was a long shot. Mm -hmm. And that's probably because, you know, I was, I was a, I'm still a smaller guy. Right. And I was never big for a football player. So I, in my mind, I felt like no one ever gave me a chance anyway. Mm -hmm. So why not? Yeah. You know, so that was my mind frame. So even whenever I found out I, I missed my, I was going to miss my senior year and it was over for me, at no point in time did I ever think that I was out of it. I was like, I, I've been out of it anyway. No one was ever going to give me a chance yep. from go. So um, I sat out the first year. I missed my senior year and I, fat, I sat out the, uh, my draft class. I, okay. So I missed the draft class, yep. which, you know, that's the time where you're supposed to be drafting everything else. And I'm yep. like, ah, I got to rehab, get my arm back right, right. And then I could take a swing at this thing. Well, I went in for the next draft class. So at that point in time, I had no idea that I wouldn't say that it's impossible to miss your draft class and still get a shot, but it would be that hard. And so I went to extreme measures, man, to, to get it. Do you think it was shot. better that you didn't know? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I, th I think so because, I mean, it would have deterred you from. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Nah, I would have still took it on. Okay. Knowing me, I would have still took it on. But it, it just it gave me a little more grit, waking up every day not knowing, but I knew I was working towards something. Yeah. So every single day, I mean, I didn't have a facility to train at. I didn't. Uh, one guy that helped me out, Tavio Henson, he he helped me out, um, to kind of teach me. Uh, I had a friend, Jaquan Patilla, who helped me out a little bit, mm -hmm. um, train me and everything. But I didn't have like. Um, like what most guys have where they go to this beautiful facility out in L.A. or Florida sure. and they go down there and train. And I stay right there in Indianapolis yeah. because that's where I, where I went to college and everything else. And I, at that time, I, I didn't have access to a, a gym or anything else. So I'm literally out in parking lots and stuff working out. I'm trying to get in Planet Fitnesses. I'm trying to do anything to lift weights. And, you know, I just basically started training myself at that point in time. What'd you do in the parking lot? I was literally, I would run a 40. I would just like see a landmark like, yeah, I'm going to run from pillar to pillar as fast no as I can. No measurement. No measurement. No exact measurement. Nah, I walk it off. Yeah. I walk it off like, man, that's, that's 41 <laughs> of my steps is a 40. And I know it. 
Right. So in my mind, I thought I was right anyway. So you're running 40s in the parking lot. Yeah, I'm running 40s in the parking lot. People I'm, walking by. Yeah, like, yo, this dude's weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, this dude is strange. Like, if I could see myself now, like, in the car, like, what is dude doing? I mean, I wouldn't have that perspective because I'd be like, oh, that's me all over again. Yeah, yeah. But I'd be like, man, that dude is strange, though. Like, he's just running as fast as he can. But you, you, had, the, you had the mindset that I'm going to get to my dream by any means necessary. By any means. I mean, I didn't, I didn't let the simple fact that I didn't have certain things hold me back from getting prepared. I was like, I'll get that later. Like, I'll get there. I'll get in the facility, but I got to be ready for it. Right. And so I was just started training myself, just started training myself and working with a few people that were helping me out and stuff. And at, at that point in time, um, I knew the NFL Combine was actually coming to Indianapolis, which is it's going on now. Like, yeah. everyone's showing up now. I saw that on TV. So everybody's showing up, and I'm like, oh, it's yeah. It's always in yeah, it's always in Indianapolis. Why is that? And so I, it's just tradition yeah. that, that it's been there that long. And they actually tried to move it the year that I was there. Really? Yeah, so they tried to move it. And I was like, oh, no, you know. <laughs> so, but it so worked out that yeah. you're, you went to Marion. You're in Indianapolis. I was in Indianapolis. You're there. So it was the Mecca of football literally in my backyard. I was like, oh, I don't have to go to L.A. or anywhere else. Right. They're all coming here. So yeah. I came, I crafted up with this, uh, this business plan okay. to hire myself and I had an agent and I still took it upon myself to go out and, you know, just speak on my behalf, represent myself. So I came up, I made a hundred DVDs and a hundred business cards, like professional, like business cards. Okay. Um, and I was literally walking outside of the NFL combine because everyone had to go into the stadium. So I'm walking on the outside all the way around the stadium, handing of out Lucas these, Oil. of Lucas Oil. Handing out these DVDs with uh, with my business card inside of it. So members of like the Lions, the Vikings are yeah. walking by. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm finna talk to all 32 teams. Right. And you know, and I'm literally just walking up to people like people with a logo. I'm like, excuse me, sir, you like you work for the Jaguars? He's like, yeah. I'm like, hey, can I get five minutes of your time? And I'm just walking down the street. Did people give you the time or did some, some did, some didn't. Like, I ain't going to say no, I'm not going to point and throw any teams out there, but they took the DVDs and was like, nah, we're cool. And I literally had to, like, watch people throw my DVDs on the ground, Man. which was, which it was heartbreaking to me. I'm like, yo, I'm out here, like, just give me a chance, and yeah. you know, to watch it go on the ground. Like, you don't understand what I'm going through just for this opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was vulnerable, and that, that was one thing that, you know, I didn't mind showing. I just wanted a shot. So I'm literally walking around the combine, handing out DVDs, trying to get, you know, a few minutes of everyone's time and just trying to get a shot. Like, yeah, hey, give me a workout, check out my film, mm -hmm. give me a call, something. And I, and I just did that. I would literally get there at six o'clock in the morning and I would stay because I, I went online to see the schedule. So I knew they had to be there by seven. So I would set up shop at six with my DVDs tucked inside of my Letterman jacket. Uh-huh. And so I was just whip out one and give it to them. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure a few of them thought I had a gun. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was inside my coat, and I'm walking up to you with right. a hand in a pocket, and, like, right. they're frightened. I'm like, nah, I got something for you. Yeah, so that's... You talked about your favorite rapper right now being J. Cole. Yeah. There's similarities between how J. Cole got started with Jay-Z and yeah, you him and that grassroots marketing piece right and that's that, that that was that's just something i i, I felt like I, I needed to do yeah because it was it was right there the the opportunity was right for me and i and i wanted it yeah you know you said you hired yourself i hired myself you believed in yourself um and 
I want to use that to transition and to talk about a, a sports Kardashian family that's out there right now, and that is the Ball family. <laughs> Lonzo Ball, Mello Ball, Jello Ball, and of course, LeVar Ball. The LeVar Ball. The LeVar Ball. <laughs> and and, and I, I was thinking about what you're saying, what you were just talking about with your story and, and hiring yourself and how you're, how you're marketing. What are your thoughts about LeVar Ball and how he's gone about marketing his kids? And in, in some ways, people will say he's a genius. Mm -hmm. um, I, and me being one of those guys, because if you look at the airtime that he's managed to get on major networks, ESPN, FS1, CNN, right. Fox News, like the major networks are covering this guy's every right. word, every move. We know he's in Lithuania. I actually know when it snows in Lithuania because I'll see something of LeVar Ball walking down the street and it's snowing. <laughs> yeah. I never knew when it snowed in Lithuania. But what he's done marketing-wise and his promotion of his, of his kids have been um, unconventional. Yeah. We've, we've not... I, I wouldn't say we haven't seen anybody like LeVar Ball before. I think I have... You probably have seen dads like LeVar. Yeah. He's the first one to really have a camera and microphone right. in him consistently. Right. Right. Do you agree with what he's doing, how he's going about doing it? I feel like he's extreme. Yeah. Um, sometimes he's extreme. But he has unbelievable confidence in his kids. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Every every parent feels like their their child can take on the world. And they should. Yeah, right. And so he's he's... He's doing just that. He, I mean, he supports his son. Like I said, he's over the top sometimes with some of his statements. It's like, all right, you better, you better wait and see. Yeah. But, you know, he, he believes in his kids. He supports them. You can't knock that. You got a lot of kids with no fathers in their life, and then we're bashing a guy who's over the top and, you know, extremely proud of his kids. I can't be mad at him for that. Yeah, absolutely. How do you – so if you're, if you're Lonzo Ball – and you're playing professionally. Obviously, he's playing with the Lakers. Let's let's just say that you're playing with the Detroit Lions. Barry Sanders is your Barry favorite player. Barry Sanders, yes, sir. So you're playing for the Detroit Lions, and let's say your dad is making all these comments, <laughs> and he's getting a lot of the headlines more than than you are. How do you feel about that? What do you say to him? Um, I tell my dad just because I know. He knows my personality. I know his. Only thing I could, I would tell him, I'd be like, yeah, you just chill out a little bit. Yeah. Chill out. You're going over the top. Like, you know, we got to play LeBron and those guys next week. Right. Well, <laughs> you're trying, trying to get me dunked on. on. <laughs> For real, you got people on the terror. Like, Patrick Beverly couldn't wait to get on him. Oh, like, man. First <laughs> game. First game. He was like, I'm not letting him score nothing. No doubt. And so, you know, it's, 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 if you can handle that, I mean, I guess it's fine, but. I just tell my dad just chill out with some of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just just over the top. But I mean, he's not, he's not, he's not gonna stop me. Like like uh, the kids said, they're used to it. Yeah. Like their dad's they always are. been like that. They was like, always. nah, he's always been like that. It's just he has a mic now. And the kids are quiet. Yeah. Lonzo, Jello, and Mello are all they're different personalities when they talk. When they talk, but to get them to talk, right? It's like to get them to there is a different. It's almost like. I, I want to say they're respectful, 
they seem like respectful kids. Yeah. Like they seem like me. they're great to their mother. Mm -hmm. Obviously, who uh, I think her name's Tina Ball. She went through mm -hmm. a stroke and had her health issues, but they seem very respectful and love her, which I often attribute that to the dad, because when a kid sees the dad love the mom and <clears throat> make sure that the kids respect the mom. Right. I take that back to the dad and the way he raised them. Right. So I think that's. That's that, but he he received. Oh, yeah. Levar Ball gets so much, so I, much credit. I don't some, like, some's warranted. Yeah, I don't. I don't like how some uh, sometimes like they bash him and they're like, oh, you know, he yells at his kids or, you know, like every every father disciplines their child. Yeah. Like you know, that's that's part of it. But you can't say just because he disciplines them, disciplines them that he's some monster. They try to paint him out to be a monster. I don't I don't Yeah, I'm not seeing the monster. I haven't seen it yet. And and part of it is for you and I, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'll, I'll I'll say what I have to say and see if you agree with it. But you know, I deal a lot in my business with parents and kids. Matter yeah. of fact, as we're getting ready to start this podcast, I'm walking in, <laughs> talking to a parent on the phone about their kid, right? right? So I've seen, I've seen this before. Yeah. Like Levar Ball is nothing new to me. Yeah. So and, I, and I've I've seen a lot of it. You've seen it. Yeah. In sports. Yes. I've I've played along alongside a guy yes. whose fathers were over the top like that. They wanted more than them. Yes. It's like the fathers trying to relive through them. Vicarious. And that way. and but I grew up. I grew up, my, my dad was my coach in high school. Oh, okay. And, yeah, so I, I grew your, up. Your dad was the head coach yeah, my of dad Holly was, Springs yeah. High School? So uh, track and football, he was the head coach. So I always played for him, ran for him. Oh, man. And then I worked at KFC, and I worked for my mother. So I always seen him no matter where I was at. Wow. Yeah, I seen him every single day, all day. Then I see him both at home. Wow. So it was different. How, I, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> How was that because... I know a lot of a lot of the kids that I deal with ha have an issue in that your parents will tell you at home, do your homework, clean your room, take out the trash. They're experts in the home area. Now, when you get outside of that, a lot of kids I deal with, they don't want to hear their dad tell them how to shoot a jump shot, how to <laughs> run a route, because you're telling me to do all this stuff at home right. that you claim to be an expert about. Right. So how was that? You You've got... You're getting it from all, and you got to go to work. And I had to go to work. Oh at, man! At, at at 16, I started working for my mother. Yeah, it was it was it was different because like I could never skip practice. I did it anyway. <laughs> but he's like, "Where was you at?" You couldn't be like, "Oh, I got to work today, coach." No, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call your mom right now. <laughs> We'd be at home. Was he at work? And you know, I could never take off work. I'm like, I gotta do something. Nah, it wasn't like that. So I was very. And I didn't mind it. Yeah. I didn't mind it because my parents weren't like that with me. Like yeah. so, like it was. It was. It wasn't bad. Like my dad. Like a lot of people think that like your father would play favoritism towards you. Like my dad developed me to be like this ultra competitive guy mm -hmm. because he. I remember we would do something like, um, like we had what we called the fastest hawk. And <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, my boy is gonna love this. We had the fastest hawk. Okay. Where it's a race off of the fastest guy on the team. Yeah. Whole team's out there. You know, you got the community out there watching this stuff. And I actually won. I won. All right. My, my friend Marcel's going to tell me I didn't win. But I won. Okay. But it was so close, my dad gave it to him. Who's my best friend. Yeah. Just to Just irritate to say, you. 
not I wouldn't say to irritate irritate me, but he at that point in time, and I look at it back then, I was like, man, you just cheat me. You're trying to be hard on me. He was like, no, you got to understand that if you're not better than the competition, they're always gonna roll with someone else. Mm -hmm. So I always made sure that if I won, I had to dominate. Yeah. So I so it just made it me like clear a clear cut. I'm the winner. So it made me ultra competitive to everything That's I do. I like so that. I knew if the, my father would rob me of something, yeah. another man would rob me of something. Yeah. So unless your hands down better. Yeah. So it wasn't like that. Everyone was like, "Oh man, you're only gonna play because your dad's the coach." My best friend that I'm talking about also started in front of me in high school. Yeah. My dad was like, "You're gonna go play receiver then." He's just a bigger running back than you. So it was never like wow. It was it was super different. That is different. And but he never pushed me to be like, you need to be the star player and nothing else. He was like, nah, let the game come to you. If you don't love it, walk away. Yeah. And you know, even the times I remember my senior year, I got like super frustrated one game. I like unripped my helmet. I slammed my helmet down. I was like, man, I'm I'm done then. I'm just not gonna play. And he goes, guess what? If you walk out of this game right now, and you quit and you don't ever play again. Football is not going to care. Like, no college is going to care. The game's going to continue on without sure. you. Right, right. It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. So then, you know, it's, it was those teachings that my father gave me in sports. Why I didn't mind being around because he was always trying to teach me how to be a man through the sport. Mm -hmm. So it was never, it wasn't hard. Do you think those lessons you learned from your dad attribute to you running those 40 routes in the parking lot? Yeah, absolutely. Not caring what anybody says that's walking by, like why is this dude running? Nah, man, I watched I watch my father, you know, at my high school, Holly Springs High School, like we didn't have a weight room at the time. I watched my father build it. I watched him, you know, buy weights and stuff like that. I watched him do these things. And he was like, look, and I remember, I remember tearing down a wall with him. Him and my cousins were tearing down a wall to build a weight room. And I remember he turned to me one time and was like, if no one ever gives it to you, no one's going to hand it to you, then you make it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I'm out there running 40s and stuff, it was like, look, no one's going to let me into their facility. No one's going to be excited to work with me or want to give me a chance. You got to right. make it for yourself. Yep. And that was a part of me hiring myself. I, just, I watched that growing up. Is he still the coach? No, nah, he's not. He's not coaching. He's, he's taking care of my... Uh, my nephew. He's enjoying being a grandfather right oh, now. Oh, awesome. And I have a, a niece and nephew, so he's loving being a grandfather. He actually, he retired from coaching. So. Okay, good. That's a, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good story. Yeah. So at the end of the day, just tell me why it didn't work out with NFL. I feel like, I feel like God didn't want me to go there. And it sounds bad. I know it sounds bad. Like uh, like the, the failures or the rejections mm -hmm. actually always taught me something as a man, not an athlete. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that uh, that it didn't work out for me because now I'm to a point in time where I'm happy with who I am, who I am, what I do and stuff like that. But I say it just it, it was just it was different. It was things that I needed to learn to pay it forward to people behind me. Mm -hmm. You know, every, you're always going to see the combine stories, the success stories, and people sure. sit up there and they have a million of them. They're going to run them on ESPN. And I, but my story was never told that route. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was at the same combine. You have a guy literally sitting down there talking about how it was hard for him and how he succeeded. It was hard for me and I didn't succeed at the sport. Sure. You know? Sure. And I think your, your message and your story is really cool for young people to, have, to hear and to take with them in their journey. And, right. you know, we will have a bunch of young people that listen to this podcast and I, I do want them to understand what you went through running in the parking lot 
handing out your, your DVDs, doing everything possible, and still not reaching st your dream. And still not get it. But, but, but that's not the end of the story. Right. And that's what kids have to remember. Right. A lot of these kids today are so embarrassed that I didn't reach my dream. I'm not right. running the parking lot. People are going to look at me, put me on Snapchat, yeah. and make fun of me. I, I always thought, man, if you did that to me, you'd be like, you never know who you was videotaping, or you never know, you never True. knew who was in your presence at the time. True. I just didn't. I didn't. I just didn't. I didn't make excuses. Yeah. For myself, I didn't. I just. I couldn't allow that. If I was gonna see it, I had to see it all the way through. And that story actually even went viral too. So one of the guys, his name's uh, Chris the story Perkins. Of the DVDs. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Chris Perkins. Uh, he wrote. He wrote it um, for Cliff Brown and for Outsiders. So, nice. you know, he was outside. I, I ended up walking up to the guy because he had a Dolphins logo on. Okay. And I, when I walked up to him, I was like, you work for the Dolphins? He was like, yeah. And I was like, let me give you a, you know, a DVD. He was like, nah, I don't work like that for the Dolphins. He's like, but what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm handing out DVDs just trying to, you know, get a shot. And he was like, hold on. He whips out his camera right there out of his bag and <laughs> literally really? interviews me on the spot. Like, I'm standing outside in the freezing cold, like 7 o'clock in the morning. And he shoots this. And it went viral. And yeah, and like he posted it, and then some more people. I thought, honestly, thought he was joking, because he posted it, and it went like to the Miami papers, or uh, Miami, whatever's down uh -huh. there, and like people started seeing it, and I didn't see it. People started telling me about it. it. Was like, yo, great article. Like, what are you doing out there? I'm like, how'd you know I'm out here? Because yeah. at the time, like, there was no Snapchat and nothing like right. that. So I'm not running around, you know, capturing my content of how I'm out here struggling. Um, this was 2015. Wow, that wasn't long ago. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't long, long ago at all. So I'm, I'm, I was out there. I wasn't, I wasn't focused on any of that. Yeah. I was, just, I was just trying to make a dream work. And I wasn't afraid to fail in front of people, though. I, that's, that's the biggest thing that I want a lot of kids to see. You can't be afraid to fail in front of other people. Like, people only want to tell you stuff that makes them seem larger than life or t only tell you the good stuff. It's like, yep. you know, there's a recipe in failure. Sure. Because by me failing, I learned a lot as a man. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, you know, Michael Jordan often talks about, and he had a commercial in regards to to failure. Favorite commercial all the time. The greatest. I, I am so glad. <laughs> all the time. Same. All the time. You talking about the one where he's walking in that tunnel and he's talking about all the shots he missed. Yes. Is that not the I best? I literally was just driving two days ago, watching that on YouTube for no reason. That. So <laughs> listen, Claire. I am so glad we're on the same page with this. That commercial hit me at my age, at the time I watched it, I was a young, young kid. It hit me because the angle in which he took, most commercials are gonna show highlights of dunks and all the fascinating things that kids wanna see. I hit the game winning shot, I scored my, um, you know, 10,000 10, point, right. whatever. LeBron gets 8,000 assists last night or whatever it is. Right. But here is the greatest player of all time in a commercial trying to sell his shoes, talk about all his failures. Right. And he's talking as he gets out of his car, he's obviously going, and I'm gonna do this for the audience, you obviously know the video, yeah. but I'm doing this for our, our audience so they can, can, I'm gonna paint the picture like J. Cole. In fact, Pulls up in his uh, Maserati or whatever it is for the game in the game tunnel at the, at the arena, I guess it was Chicago's arena at the time, United Center. Gets out of the car, and as he's walking past all the paparazzi taking pictures, he's got his suit and his trench coat on. Yeah. Just the, the I guess it would be the inner voice is mm -hmm. talking, and he's talking about all his failures. I've missed 3,000 shots. I've missed, 
you know, 50 game winners. I've dribbled the ball with my foot. And he talks about every failure. And as he opens that door to enter the arena, he says, and that's why I succeed. Exactly. Bro, when I saw that, <laughs> game over. Give me the ball. Let me get my J's right. on. I'm, I'm going to hoop. Right. And it, like I said, there's a there's a recipe in failure. And it, and then I'm not I don't I don't want to jump in this and onto this, but I always tell people, you know, whenever they say, "Oh, LeBron's the greatest," I'm go I go, you know, he's three three for five, uh, <laughs> three and five in the finals, and they they say, "You're a hater," blah blah yep. blah 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 blah, and I go, "Look, he's failed before," because yep. they feel like LeBron has never done it wrong. I'm like, LeBron's missed a game winner before, and I just do it just to just yeah, to say, yeah. like, "Yeah, LeBron's missed a game winner before." They're like, "Man, you're a hater." I'm just like. Of course they He's do. failed before too. Like, yeah, right. People always magnify stuff and, and they don't want to speak about the failures. Quickly, my thing with LeBron is this. Like, I don't want to judge LeBron's career until he's finished. Like, you want to talk about right. LeBron being better than Jordan. Talk to me when his career is finished. Don't talk to me now. His, right. his story's still being written. Right. Like, of course I'm going to be a pro Michael fan, but if the statistics and things lay out and the storyline lays out where LeBron is the greatest when it's all said and done. Then, then we'll we'll deal with that when we get there. But don't talk to me during the, during yeah. the story. Who's like, the first player with 800 rebounds? Like I don't know. I don't care. I'm not looking at it like that. Like, yeah. He I mean, like it's like okay. I'm watching a movie, <clears throat> and I'm not finished with the movie, right? <laughs> and I'm like, this is the greatest <laughs> movie of all time. Like how you don't know how it's gonna it, like watch the rest of the movie. Yes. But, but one thing we have in common and i'll use this jordan as jordan story as a segue we have sneakers in common yes yes I'm yes so glad yes that yes we do i'm a huge sneakerhead specifically a michael jordan air jordan yes sneakerhead i'm i'm with you so um i want to know your top five jordans of all time and then i'm going to give you my top five which is the you know, my list is actually the, the real list. We'll see if, if your list is like matches mine, then your list is the real list too. Yeah. Number one, Cherry 13s. That's your, Absol- that's your shoe. Absolute that's favorite. Your- I just, I love it. Okay. On Cherry 13s. Number two, the 88s. <clears throat> okay. Slam dunk competition. Mm, number three. Hmm. I'm gonna switch it up and say I like the Chicago ones. You're gonna go with the ones. I'm going Chicago ones. Okay. That's number three. Number four. I'm going uh I'm a eleven guy. So I am gonna say the, the past December release, the all red elevens. The all red elevens, number four. Number five. Bel Air fives. Okay. Because they were dope. Okay. Gotcha. I'll give you mine. You ready? Ready. All right, buckle up. Number five, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it very dramatic. So, and I you've you've described some specifically with colors and different things. I'm just gonna yeah. talk about a, a style. So, starting at number five, I have the Jordan Fours. The reason I have the Jordan Fours is because you're wearing them. I'm actually yeah, I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> the Jordan Fours to me, watching Michael Jordan play, that was the first time I said. He is the greatest player in the world. So for me to watch him in that type of 
you know, like lens, like he's the greatest. So whatever shoe he's wearing is going to be special. Yeah. Right. I always mark the Michael Jordan moments with his shoes a yeah. lot of times. Right. So I'm going to go with the Jordan fours at number five. At number four, I have the Jordan threes, specifically the Jordan some uh, black cement threes. Just, just came out last last week. Yep, on All Star Weekend, that was the first pair of Jordans I ever owned. Bought with my own money with the Jordan Threes. And you bought them again? I bought them over time. I have about five pair of Jordan Threes. <laughs> I didn't get the ones last week because I already have. I have a pair of Jordan Threes, cement threes specifically, that are in a box in a corner. I've never touched them. Yeah. Don't even know what got, they look gotta like. Gotta keep right them now. on ice. Oh, they're, they're, they're sitting there chilling. So I didn't need to get the ones yeah. last week. So, um, for three, I'm gonna go with the Jordan 11s. Uh, the patent leather was just was a, such a game changer. Yeah, for sure. We had just never seen anything like that to where a dress shoe would cross over into the world of athletics yeah. in the combination of the two. I mean, I'm sure some basketball shoes had touches of shiny material that may look, but to have a whole piece of a shoe have that much patent leather. Instant sellout. Man. At number two, I have one of my favorite, no, not one of, my favorite Jordan to play in, the Jordan 12s. I love the Jordan 12s. The first time I ever saw Michael Jordan play live was in the white and red Jordan 12s. Yeah. And and one of the things with the Jordan 12s I love so much is just the minim minimalistic look to them. I sat real high. They were playing the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Mitch Richmond yeah. was guard Michael Jordan, who Michael said was one of the toughest players he had to go against um, defensively, like who was guarding him. Him, Gary Payton, uh, Joe Dumars from the Pistons. But just sitting back as far as I was um, for the game versus the Kings, I could see... The Jordan 12, <laughs> because it had that big block of red, and I'm yes. like, yo, what are those? Like, I need those. I've got to have Good cherry. those. So every day, I couldn't wait for the release of those shoes. Like I said before, whenever I saw Michael in a shoe, it just made it different. So you got five of those, too? No, I don't. I have like, I think I have maybe two or three yeah. pair of those. Necessary. Absolutely. And number one. The most influential shoe of all time. Not most influential Jordan to the Jordan line. I'm saying, Cliff, this is the most influential Jordan or influential shoe of all time. Influenced the whole sneaker culture. Yeah, everything. The Jordan 5s. 5. You wonder why? Yes. So, there are elements to the shoe that were game changers. First, I'm going to start with the tongue. The tongue was complete 3M. We've not seen that yes. at, to, to that point on a basketball show. That is true. The whole tongue. And then on top of that, too, tongues weren't really used as the fashion piece to the shoe. Other pieces of the shoe were more so the, the selling feature, mm -hmm. right? So now the Jordan 5 tongue became the change of the game as far as, okay, when we make a shoe, the tongue better be on point. Yeah. Think about the Jordan 6s, the two holes in the yeah. tongue. You know, and then you get to the to the sevens and the eights. You think about the um, the puzzle the puzzle piece mm -hmm. on the tongue, like the, the carpet. You know, the, the on the eights, and so go on and on. Yeah. It started with the five, and then the three M. Like, what if the shoe had three M? Like that much shiny, and if you were in a room and somebody took a picture, right? Your shoe, 
light up. Game changer. Number two, the number two as far as the uh, pieces of the shoe that were very influential, the lace lock. No one had seen that before. Right. Not on a basketball shoe. That's how you can tell whether they're real or fake too. There you go. Lace lock. Absolutely. And this this lace lock thing totally changed. People started finding ways to, you know, create a system like that lace lock that quote unquote kept your shoes from becoming untied, but we know really it was just a, a fashion piece, an accessory. Right. right. Then, which I think's probably the most important feature of the shoe is the clear sole. The you think about the Jordan ones, twos and threes you know, most of them had plain bottoms, mm -hmm. right? And then the, and even the fours. Mm -hmm. But the fives, man, it was a clear bottom, and then you had, then you could see the jump man, like, yes. get out of here. That changed, that changed the game. Like, people were literally, that had the fives, were trying <laughs> to keep their fives from getting dirty yes. on the bottom. How you see bottom? Right, that didn't happen with the fours. <laughs> that didn't happen with the threes. Didn't happen with the two or the ones. But the fives? Hey man, you don't even walk in them. I can't, I can't walk that way because it's gonna, me it's gonna mess up. It's gonna turn these bad boys yellow. Yeah, and that led to the Jordan 11s. Mm -hmm. You know, when they had the icy bottom, that, that's such an important feature. Like, I think the patent leather is important, but that icy bottom right. plays into that, right? Yeah, and that started with the Jordan that, 5. That says it all. You agree with? Uh, yes. Okay. I, your list is approved. Mine's matters, but yours is approved. <laughs> <laughs> Mine still matters. No doubt. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to pull this up. The last part of our show that we always do, every episode, so we have a thing called The Blast from the Past. Now, my co-host Glenn Riley and I are huge music guys, especially 90s, time in which we grew up. Late 80s, I should say late 80s, early 90s. And I want to tie in a hip-hop group to Holly Springs. <laughs> one of, I would say, I'd say one of the most influential groups of all time, a, a very important group to, to hip hop. So, this group that I'm about to play, the song that they did came out in 1989. What's important about 1989? The year a legend was born. The, the year you were born. Yes. 1989. So, I, I factored that in. Then I factored in. Sly Johnson, who's from Holly Springs. Sly Johnson created that song called um, Different Strokes. Mm -hmm. Different Strokes was sampled by Jay-Z, Wu-Tang Clan, but specifically this song was sampled or sampled Different Strokes. So we're going to tie it all together. So we've got a Holly Springs flavor in here from the Different Strokes, <laughs> 1989, the year you were born. A great year for Jordan Sneakers, yes. too. I'm gonna go ahead and play this and see if you know who this group is. Now, keep it keep in mind that this group, excuse me, I'm sorry, I gotta get this queued up here. Now, I, I think, and I'm gonna tell you right now, I think personally that this video for this group is the greatest hip hop video of all time. And it had nothing to do, it wasn't a fancy video, there weren't like, you know, which, trust me, I have nothing wrong with this. The girls dancing and shaking and all that yeah. stuff. It was just plain up street hip hop. Right. Here we go.
love this video. What you think about this? Swag. Public enemy, fight the power. Swag. We need to bring back the clock chains. The flavor, flavor. Wait, wait, he's got like five clocks yeah. right there. I need, I need a clock chain like that. There's, there's no flash about it or anything. Just is out there speaking and everybody's riding with him. This is great. It was like they just told a bunch of people to come out in New York City. I don't know if they were in Brooklyn or where they were, but they said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to take to the streets. We're going to walk down the streets. And Fight the Power, obviously, was a political... Uh, a political song, right? Right for what was going on at the time. But I thought right. what was so great about Public Enemy was you got a guy like Chuck D, who's a lead guy, and he was kind of like a brass, like he's like a a speaker. Yeah. And he's talking like just straight knowledge. And then you got like a jester, like flavor flavor. <laughs> he's got eight clocks around his neck, yeah. high top fade, and he's wearing what is he, like a top hat. The top hat. Just banging. It balanced it, right? Right. It's back to that Tupac. Right. You hit him with the ignorant song and you hit him with the knowledge. Revolutionary. Right? Revolutionary. They got something to say. Do you remember the song? Yes. I, li I listened to it over time. Just learning about the culture, you definitely, that's, that's something that you're always going to hear. No doubt. I mean, you hear it in movies. They're still using it in movies and yes. everything else. They're, that song's still relevant. I mean, right. you don't hear it on the radio every day. You gotta listen to Drake and Migos, but you know that's. <laughs> you hear against Drake and Migos. Yeah, but. Nothing, nothing against them, but you yep. know, there's definitely a message to be told in, in a lot of that music. And Sly Johnson. Sly. Had something to do with this song. Something. He influenced it. They want to go to Holly Springs, Mississippi. That's that's what. <laughs> now, do you know there are a couple rappers um, from the state of Mississippi that you probably didn't know? We're from the state of Mississippi. Who's that? Did you know Rick Ross from Clarksdale, Mississippi? Yeah. You knew that? Yeah, I knew Ross was. Most people don't know that. Mm-mm. They, they don't give Mississippi no credit. No. Nah, they uh, just oh, he's from Miami. Right, that's what <laughs> everyone thinks. Like, no, he's not. Uh, Big Crit, you probably know mm -hmm. Big Crit's from, from Mississippi. Uh, I believe Ray Schremert's from mm -hmm. Mississippi. Uh, do you remember Nate Dog? Yes. Nate Dog's from Mississippi. How about that? We got some legends. You do. We got some legends. A lot of good. Most people don't. Most people don't know that. Uh, it's probably because it's a, you know, it's not a state that people think of hip hop. Like you think of Atlanta, like yeah, and Georgia, like like oh, they're putting out some. Mississippi is exactly. It's what you think of it. It's you know, I'm here to rechange that. You know. Are you change, changing yeah, the perception I'm, of? Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm reshaping the idea. Of this is what Mississippi looks like. This is what it looks like. It looks like me. Absolutely. So. I love it. Well, hey, listen, I love your story. Um, you know, I had Matt Cattell, who we have uh, a friend in common, Matt Cattell, reached out to me about having you on here. And he sent me the information about your story. I read up on it. But I think it's one thing to read up on it and hear from other people a person's story. But then to meet that person and hear them verbalize their story. And, right. and I think it's definitely impactful. And I, I love... I love the message from within, and especially for a lot of our young people to hear. Like right. I said before, you running in the parking lot, passing out your DVD, and you didn't make it to the NFL, but that wasn't the end of the story. Right. You know, I, I think all that is so important for young people of today, the instant gratification right. generation. Right. They need to hear that. Right. And you're right now 
doing Clifford Brown performance. Yeah. Right? Yes, sir. So there's, there's, there's a great ending to this. And if you want to speak on uh, your business right now before we close up yeah, shop. Yeah, Clifford Brown bit. performance. And just something that I've ventured into uh, as an independent trainer. Just helping guys, you know, it doesn't matter the sport, you know, football, basketball, track background. I want to be able to be of service to you to help you improve in your game and also give you a piece of who I am through that. So a lot of a lot of people, you know, whenever they come and work with me, I instantly grow an attachment to them. And that's only because I'm living through you at that point in time. Right. And me being who I am and giving you who I am, it's it's almost like it's almost like me training myself yeah like you know you need this you want this like right. you you don't you want this to end well for you so you should go through this yeah you know in a in a controlled environment so i just use training as as something that um i just try to be myself with every day and help athletes improve so that's now you're dealing with all kind of athletes you're dealing with yeah. football you don't care if they play tennis soccer nah, it doesn't badminton. matter it doesn't matter and from professional high school you know, even general public, because one thing that that holds dear to me is health. Um, not the healthiest eater, and everybody knows that, but a lot you're, of people... Not, nah, 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 nah. But I like to promote a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know, there's you still have to be active, and that's something that I even like to incorporate in my daily practice, where I'm working with someone who's not um, an athlete, like Gary Owen, comedian. Just help him stay in shape. Okay. good for We're the movies. Gary. Yeah, so... Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm just here to help. Yeah. How's that working with him? He's a freak athlete. You being funny? <laughs> no, he gets it in. He gets okay. it in. I'm dead serious. He gets it in. And he he goes hard. So, you know, he's 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 trimmed up a lot. That's good. He's trimmed up a lot. You still work with him? Yeah. Still so, work with him. So his um Gary Owens, I don't know Gary. Um obviously he's a a guy who's done well for himself that's from Cincinnati. So I mm -hmm. think a lot of people root for him to yeah. do well. Um he had a stylist. Um, for I don't know how many years, um, who died in a, in a um, I think it was a um, motorcycle accident in the Clifton area, and he was just I think he was I think he had just saw Gary the day before, dropped off some clothing and stuff like that, and then died the next day. But he was Gary's stylist. I grew up with the guy's name is Devin. I grew up with him. And oh. Devin, yeah, Devin used to be a, a dancer in Cincinnati, <laughs> like when. Like back in the day when, <laughs> like you remember Heavy D and the Boys yeah. and all that, and they had backup dancers. Big Daddy Kane, who I talk about too much on our <laughs> podcast. I'm a big Big Daddy Kane fan. His backup dancer scoop and scrap and all that stuff. That was so big, and he was like a big big dancer. Yeah. And we used to oh everybody back in Cincinnati used to think they were the hottest dancer in the streets <laughs> and have dance competitions. And, Bring the cardboard out. Oh, for sure, for <laughs> sure. And so, uh, yeah, so Devin was, was his stylist, but I've always wanted to meet Gary and talk to him about Amazing Devin. guy. Yeah. Amazing guy. That's good. So you're, you're working with all kind of people, and I, th I, think, that's, I think that's important, yeah. you know, um, that you're willing to say, okay, yeah, I could just work for, for, with football folks because that's the yeah. lane I've been in, but I'm willing to venture out because i think i could help a lot of different right. type of people now how, how can people get a hold of you what's the easiest way via social media twitter instagram this okay. same you, handle you shout it out s underscore brown 25 s underscore what's the s shot my, shot so my mom calls me shot 
when you were working at KFC. Oh uh, yeah, she's still to this day. To this day. I'm only called Clifford when she's mad. <laughs> so <laughs> other than that, I'm just Shad, so. Shad, what's that from? Uh, she just loved that name. So my full name's Clifford Vashad Brown. Vashad. Yeah, Vashad. And she, okay. she just calls me Shad. Okay. So I always identify myself as Shad because that's what mama calls me. Is there anybody else named Shad? Bow Wow. Shad Moss. <laughs> I <laughs> thought so. I thought Lil Bow Wow's uh, no. real name was Shot. Yeah. You know where Lil Bow Wow's from? Where? Columbus, Ohio. Yes. We're bringing this yes. all around. He has Ohio ties. He, he has Ohio. <laughs> he's, he's from the O. Yes. How about that? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot Lil Bow Wow. I spell mine differently, though. Okay. How do you, how do you spell it's yours? It's S-H-A-U-D. He's S-H-A-D. Okay. So there's no U. Okay. So mine sounds like super fancy like french are you fancy huh? yeah i'm french <laughs> Tell people i'm french when i spell it oh that's that's good stuff um so once again shout out your social media uh s underscore brown 25 right and um if anybody needs to get a hold of us we are at nfc podcast we're on instagram and twitter and also on Facebook under the No Further Comments podcast. And Cliff, I want to thank you for coming on the show, thank sharing you. your story. And, and also intertwining your story within our normal podcast format, talking about other topics. It's always great to get other people's opinions on LeVar Ball. Should athletes be paid? Greatest Jordans of all time. Like that's always good <laughs> to intertwine and get other people's. I appreciate you for having me. Only sneakerheads welcome up here. That's right. Only sneakerheads. That's you how, gotta know the shoes. That's how it should it's be. It's important. Absolutely. Well, everyone, we'll be back next week with another episode. It'll be episode 45. What do you think, Cliff? You can just wait until... <laughs> we should have had you on 45. Yeah, I should have came the, back. The Jordan comeback. You have to come back for the I'm comeback I'm doing that one, podcast. too. I'm doing that one, too. Man, we're going to have to find a good twist on that 45 podcast on how to... How to make that? You gotta have a sneaker head. Yeah, they better. They gotta have 150 plus, or don't come up here. Right. Don't don't even don't even show up if your sneaker game is not 150 plus. Jordan. I'm yeah yeah Jordan for sure. Jordan. Oh that's that wasn't it. Yeah. No no question about that. We'll be back with uh, hopefully Glenn's back from uh, the kingdom of Wakanda, and Mario has found. his statistics on Shaggy. Yeah, our, our producer Mario is a funny dude. He's a big Sacramento Kings fan. <laughs> right? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, white chocolate is nice. Jason white, Williams. White chocolate is nice. Yes, no doubt. But he, he's a huge Kings fan, which is just it's just so random. And um, for years, he's been an Eagles fan. Oh and, gosh. But but it's been it's been a while. Like he's not like a Eagles fan last year. It's been an Eagles fan since he's like been riding with him. Yeah, since Donovan. Like it's been for for a long time. So this year was his year to really pump his chest. Yeah. So anyway, last podcast we got on this rant about the the um, reggae uh, uh, artist Shaggy. Yeah. You know Shaggy. Yeah. So and then somehow he went on a rant about the importance of Shaggy from Scooby Doo <laughs> and how. His brilliant detective work helped solve a lot it of this. It went left. Yeah, we were, I was like, so he's out getting those statistics. <laughs> but he will be back <laughs> from his research on Shaggy. And Glenn will be as well for episode 45. We want to thank everybody for checking out episode 44 of the No Further Comments podcast. And our special guest, 
Cliff Brown. Appreciate you.